Welcome to Jim Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. Throughout his career, Jim Lang has made it a priority to provide his clients, readers, and friends with useful, cutting-edge information, as well as peer-reviewed financial and tax planning strategies, so that they can make the most educated decisions and really get the most out of what they've got. We hope you enjoy the following special read broadcast from the Lang Vault. Please stay with us until the end so you don't miss more information on how we can help you protect your wealth and ensure your family's financial security for the next generation. And now, Jim Lang. Great. Um, so I have one quick question that Larry might back actually be able to answer. Uh, it's a follow-up to, uh, he was talking about treasury inflation protected securities. And uh, Rajnikant asked, uh, does it have a limit on purchase amounts for yeah, those? So that question probably comes because there is a limit on purchase amount on a security called an I-bond, which can be an attractive investment from time to time. Those I-bonds get a set rate of interest. It's reset every six months. Uh, and you earn that for that period. Uh, I-bonds are limited to $10,000, I believe, per year per social security number. Because inflation was 7%. So that's getting you 7% over the next six months. So great, go invest in that. But, but the real yield is zero, right? And that's set for the next, you know, the 30 years of the I-bonds. Uh, tips have no uh, maximum amounts. You can buy as much as you want. And you can. we buy them for our clients directly, individually, even saving the clients the cost of even Vanguard's low-cost index funds. Great. Thanks so much, Larry. Well, I, I, have a, I have a follow-up for Adam, because Adam, as I understand it, uh, if the portfolio is large enough, uh, if you're looking at fixed income, you're not necessarily, you don't have to, for example, go to a bond fund. What do you do if somebody's interested in a, a conservative guaranteed, let's forget about the alternatives for a minute. Um, what, would, what would say you be able to offer somebody that you could not get, say, at, Vanguard or um, another good fund company? Yeah, so uh, we offer individual bonds. And again, because we're a fiduciary, there is no markup. We buy FDIC insured CDs, US treasuries and high quality municipal bonds. So we'll build the ladder based on that client's needs. Certainly a short, shortish duration, if you will. We. Uh, guaranteed is too strong of a word. That's why I say FDIC insured, but uh, no corporates, no mortgage bonds. And we save you then that expense ratio of the funds you're in. So if you're on a million dollar, uh, say fixed income fund, if you're in a million dollar fixed income fund and you're maybe paying 25 bips, we're saving you 2,500 bucks a year. Adam, I think it's uh, also really important to know there are some very significant benefits for us uh, having this SMA or separate uh, management account approach. Uh, has to do, for example, right now we're in a period uh, where, for example, or we have been in periods where even for high tax bracket investors, 
uh, it is better to own taxable bonds, maybe a CD, uh, than owning municipal bonds. That's one example. So we, uh, a municipal bond fund would never buy a CD because it can't buy its uh, uh, prospectus laws. But we might say a municipal bond, uh, let's say a case was yielding 1% and a CD of the same maturity was yielding two and you're in an overall 40% bracket, your net return is 1.2. That's higher than the muni. We're going to buy the CD for you. We have a computer program that when we say, here's the cash and uh, we know it's available to invest, the computer will calculate what maturity we need in the latter and which is the best investment. Another thing we will do is consider uh, the state that you're in. So if you're gonna buy, for example, let's say you're in a high tax bracket state uh, like New York, you may only wanna buy, you know, a typical investor will say, I only wanna buy New York bonds or California bonds. Well, that may be appropriate, maybe, but it's not always true that other states are going to have higher yields uh, because they're low tax brackets and there's not a demand. Uh, so they tend to have higher yields. Uh, so sometimes, even if you live in those states like New York, it might pay to buy another state bond. But very importantly, let's say you live in Florida. Why would you want to buy Vanguard's National Bond Fund, which includes New York and California bonds, whose yields are suppressed by the extra demand? You want to overload a portfolio, if you will, with bonds that have higher yields, but the same credit rating from zero tax states like Texas and Florida and Washington and Nevada. And so we are going to make sure that you buy the bonds uh, that get you the highest after-tax returns for that credit rating. Well, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, I, I assume that there has to be some minimum. In other words, somebody can't say, here's $100,000 we would like you to invest in individual bonds. Yeah, I, I think for municipals, it might be a million dollars. And for CDs, it might be 500,000. Is that right, Adam? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you, we, the minimum yeah. there, Jim, is not that so much the work. It's that a million dollars, we want to make sure the portfolio is diversified, even if we're buying only AAA and AA credits. So we want to make sure we own at least 10 securities to get that diversification, 10, 20. And uh, so that's why we have the minimums there. All right, so then you're using bonds, not necessarily junk bonds to get a higher return, but you're using it, at, let's say for diversification and to have that classic fixed income uh, yeah. exposure, so is that right? We think of it as two separate parts. We have the bonds that we want to be in your safe bucket that's to dampen the risk of the portfolio, the overall portfolio to acceptable level. And we think every client should have at least 10 or 20% of those safest bonds because you want them to rebalance. For example, if you're all equities and they're all getting hit, you can't rebalance and get the benefit. That's one. And if you have liquidity needs, you don't want to have to be selling in a bear market either. So, so everyone should at least have some of that. 
But then the alternatives like the Cliff Water and the Stone Ridge funds we suggested, we would put them in the alternatives bucket where their risks are somewhere between the safe bonds and the equities, much closer to the safe bonds, but we recognize they're not in that same category. Okay, thank you. So we really have three buckets, if you will. Safe bonds, that's the anchor that keeps your portfolio safe in the, while the sea is storming, uh, raging. Uh, and then the risky equities and then the alternatives are much less risky, partly because they tend to have less risk than equities in the first place, but they also have low correlation with each other. So for example, our alternative lending funds, uh, their risk doesn't correlate with reinsurance risk. I mean, earthquakes and hurricanes don't cause bear markets or unemployment generally, right? And so they're going to be low correlation. So even if, um, use an example, let's say we had five alternatives that each had a standard deviation or level of volatility of, for argument's sake, 10%, stocks are about 20 a portfolio of these alternatives, we believe the volatility is actually five or less because they don't correlate with each other. And by the way, I just threw out that number of 10%. That's about the volatility of reinsurance, but the Lendex and Cliffwater funds, their volatility is closer to three, four, or five. So they're much closer to safe bonds Safe bond portfolio, average maturity of five might have a volatility of three or four. These might be just a touch higher. Okay. Thanks, guys. Um, the, I guess I have another question, but before I do that, since we've been discussing uh, what we do for our clients, what Buckingham does on the investment side for our mutual clients, Brian did put in the chat uh, it, the link to the offer. So if anyone is interested in uh, considering working with us for assets under management or in requesting a financial master plan engagement, if you click that link and fill out that form, ED, our client services coordinator, will reach out to you shortly. So uh, again, don't forget about that. If that's something you want to do, I recommend doing it now. And if you click the link, it won't take you away from this now it will just open a new window. So the next question, and I'm not sure, Jim, if you would like to take this first or if you would like, because it's it's a little bit related to which money to spend first, but it may be also more investment portfolio specific. So I'll let you decide whether you want to take it first or whether um, maybe you'd prefer that Larry or Adam do. So Suzanne asked, what factors should one consider to determine which funds to withdraw first? I'm under 72. Uh, and then the choices are between a 401A money purchase plan and a TIAA craft 403B. Well, uh, I'll let Larry take a crack at it, but th th this is what I would say. And I, I, I mentioned this earlier. If you have vintage TIAA, TIAA, in other words, if you've been in this game more than 20 years, your 20-year and older TIAA is paying 3.8%. I am not so anxious to get out of that. So everything being equal, um, I probably want to hold on to that. Craft uh, is frankly a stock fund and I'm not as wedded to moving in and out of that fund. Um, in the, 
Other thing that you have to be careful of is what is the purpose of getting out? And um, today we had a, um, a viewer who didn't like the fact that he wanted to make a Roth IRA conversion. He wanted to do it with TIAA uh, funds where he had the vintage years, but TIAA's policy is if you make a Roth conversion, instead of being able to keep it in those vintage years, paying between three and 3.8%, that it would have to come back to the current rates. So I think that you have to look at it uh, under that circumstance, again, one of the nice things about um, Adam and Buckingham is they are agnostic, if you will, meaning they're looking for the best return. Um, Larry doesn't care if you're invested in Bridgeway or DFA or cash or, or anything else. I would say the same thing here. Um, you're going to have to do, assuming that everybody, and Larry just said it was, he wants everybody to have some fixed income. If you have some classic TIAA that's paying 3.8% or close to it, I'd be pretty reluctant to get out of that. And Larry was also talking about some of the alternatives, the, the, the downside being maybe lack of liquidity. I would say the same thing with uh, TIAA at retirement. And we had a whole section in the first in the, in the first talk, and by the way, that first talk and second talk, actually, the first one was general, second one was Roth, third one was estate planning. All those are going to be available for the next couple of days. Um, I think we will send out links to them. But just like the downside of some of that TIAA money is lack of liquidity, um, just like the downside of, let's say, some of the alternatives is lack of liquidity, I like the idea of getting the higher returns and getting your liquidity from other sources. Larry might have, in fact, it's almost impossible to imagine Larry doesn't have an opinion on this or for that matter, most anything else. Yeah, well, certainly TIA Craft right now, that their annuity portion is the highest riskless or as close to riskless rate of return as you can get. And it'd be foolish to abandon that because T-bills and CDs are yielding close to zero uh, and you're getting 3.8%. Uh, so why would you give that up? So that's really important consideration. Uh, you know, lots of advisors will give advice because it allows them to capture more assets that they might charge on and you want to beware of that. Uh, so that's really important. We <laughs> don't do that. Uh, but there are general rules which are described in my book, Your Complete Guide to a Successful and Secure Retirement, about order of withdrawals, where you want to take money from. Should it be your taxable account? Should it be your tax advantaged account, which are traditional IRAs or 403Bs or Roths? And that's basically all else equal, that's the order you want to take it out from. Last being the Roth, first being the taxable, uh, with some exceptions, like if you're in a very low bracket year, you may want to take money out of a traditional and can do a Roth conversion while you're in that lowest bracket. And even in some years, we want to, if you're in what we call a blackout period, where 
uh, you retire at say 62, we tell you based on your health, life expectancy, don't take social security until you're 70 uh, and a half. So now you've got to live, draw down on your taxable money, but you have very little income. So now you may want to not only do Roth conversions there because you're going to get that income low bracket, you'll get the secondary benefit of reducing your RMDs later because your portfolio will be smaller. And third, Anna might say, hey, look, we've got a chance to take some capital gains at a zero or 10 or 12% bracket. I know Adam has done that uh, with clients as well. So you have to integrate all of these issues, uh, not just thinking of the tax issues separately. You have to look at making sure you're paying taxes, not minimizing them this year, but minimizing over the client's lifetime. And, and, and interestingly, I said practically the exact same thing in the last couple um, webinars, which I do find interesting. And sometimes, you know, we talk about maybe the overlap between, you know, what, what Adam is recommending in his 40-step process and what I'm recommending. But, but other than the tax loss harvesting, which I didn't mention, I said practically the exact thing on the order of withdrawal and for uh, the Roth and for um, um, one other thing that he said. But, you know, to me, it is... That is reassuring that, you know, people from, let's say, different worlds, if you will, come to the same conclusion for your benefit. Um, I didn't mention anything about the tax loss harvesting, but everything else that Larry said, practically concept for concept is what, you know, I was talking about in the first three webinars. Yeah, actually, the first case, we're talking about tax gain harvesting, which most people would not think to do because they think the best strategy is minimize taxes in that year when that's not the right optimal strategy. It's to minimize taxes over the lifetime. Yep. Sorry, <laughs> I have, I'm always shocked when there's a lull. Um, so we have a bunch of questions uh, still from the live room and I'm going to try to get to as many of them as I can. Um, the next question that I have from the live room is from Thomas, and he said, I'm wondering what the what difference in investing philosophy you have, or I guess apply during inflated asset evaluations combined with inflation versus periods of deflation and low interest periods. Uh, uh, well, uh, the answer to that is uh, pretty simple. We think that the market is the best estimate of the right price. We don't try to time markets. The great evidence is the people who try to time markets because they think it's overvalued uh, fail with great persistence. I'll give you a great recent example. In 2013, a guru, I'll use that term, uh, Jeremy Grantham, very smart guy, runs and was founder of GMO Investments, which manages tens of billions. He had a great track record. He said the market is 60 to 70% overvalued because valuations, PEs were higher, historical averages, and he was predicting a crash. 
Uh, I wrote a paper uh, on explaining why I thought he was wrong, uh, but that's not important. Uh, anyone who wants it could find it on the Advisor Perspectives website or you know, ask Adam, we'll get you a copy of that, that paper. Uh, but the important thing is 2013 turned out to be one of the best years ever for the market. Uh, and he kept repeating it every year, 15, 16, right through. And he just came out again and called for it last year and again this year. And of course, last year was a great year. The decade was a great decade. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that as Peter Lynch, maybe one of the, maybe the greatest fund manager of all time, he was 100% invested all of the time. And the reason was he said more money has been lost anticipating bear markets than ever lost in them. And to me, the great uh, anomaly maybe in all of finance is that if you ask people who they think the greatest investor of all time is, they would almost unanimously say Warren Buffett. And yet, not only do they ignore Buffett's advice, they do the opposite. <laughs> uh, Buffett has repeatedly told people, you know, my favorite time frame is forever. Uh, he has said, never try to time the market. But if you can't resist, buy when everyone else is panic and sell when everyone is greedy. And we know investors tend to do exactly the opposite. There's no evidence that people, smart people, can outguess the market. And one great example is there was once a study of what are called tactical asset allocation funds. Those are mutual funds run by experts who move money between asset classes depending upon what they think the economic environment will be, inflationary, deflationary, or whatever. And the study found that not one single one of those added value. And yet, and Vanguard, really smart, and they don't have the burden of high expenses. They ran a tactical asset allocation fund uh, for a long time. And I think it was in 2011, they shut it down, merged it into another vehicle because it had failed. Uh, so the evidence suggests the best thing to do is what we've repeatedly said during this time frame: is have a well thought out plan that incorporates the certainty that we're going to live through different economic regimes. And we just can't predict, nor can anyone else, when they will occur. So we want to have, if you will, an all weather portfolio that you can live with through all periods. If you want to take one piece of advice, take Warren Buffett's advice. I recently heard him say he hadn't read an economic forecast or listened to one in at least 25 years. <laughs> uh, Larry's warning about more money has been lost in the anticipation of the bear market than the bear market reminds me of the wise words of Emmanuel Lasker. Emmanuel Lasker was the world chess champion for 24 years, which is the longest period any individual was a, the world chess champion. And he used to say that the threat was more dangerous than the execution. So that's perfectly consistent. And I, I've never heard it put that way, Larry, but I, I really like that. Yeah, Peter Lentz, pretty smart guy. 
best track record maybe of any mutual fund investor over a long time frame. And he was always 100% invested. Jim, uh, do you think Magnus Carlson will give the, uh, the, the guy with the current record a run for his money? I think he's been the world champion for, since 2013 now, right? Uh, there's no way anybody's going to be world chess champion for 24 years, no? I believe, anymore. Um, although Carlson's wonderful, you know. <laughs> okay, sorry, that was completely the, 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 competi- the competition is too tough today. For sure. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. If you've discovered the answers to your questions and would like to schedule an appointment with Jim, please call our offices at 1-800-387-1129. That number again is 1-800-387-1129. Or if you would like to attend one of Jim's upcoming webinars, Go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That address again is paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That's 2020 webinars.